0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Austin, youth pastor here at Branches, and I'm so happy to be with you here this morning. Something that you may know about me, if you know me, is that I drive a 1986 Volvo wagon. Her name is Rose, and Rose goes. She's great. It's funny that I drive an old car, though, because I'm not a car guy. Just never been a car guy. was never really into them, and... Getting an older car that you need to work on all the time has been an issue for me. I, before this, I was driving a 2010 Jetta, which all my friends were telling me that's a high school girl car, but I love the Jetta. I'm going to stand true to the Jetta. If there's a male out there that drives a Jetta, I stand with you. They're fine. They're great. But I get this Volvo, this 1986, and it has a lot of issues, and I am not good at upkeep. Like I'm fine with washing it. I'm fine with getting an oil change every couple months. You know, I get the basics down. But when something different happens, when it starts to make different sounds, I don't quite know what to do. So when the car starts to make louder sounds, I kind of just turn up my music a little bit louder. Maverick City gets a little louder. I hear the screeching, and then I'm just like, Christ is my firm foundation And recently, my car started to do this really cute thing where I start it and then it just starts sounding like demons are trying to escape from hell. Just like this super obnoxious screech. And I'm like driving out of the small town that I live in and I'm just like looking straight, not making eye contact with anyone that's looking at me. It's like down the road and it's just, it's painful. I don't know what to do. But then after about two or three minutes, the screeching stops and I'm like, I'm fine. Everything is okay. I don't need to go to the mechanic. Just three minutes needs to go by, and we're in the clear. But here's the thing. When my car is in park, it's fine. It looks great. You can't tell that Rose has issues. Like, there was this time this past week, I was at Bad Coffee, my favorite coffee shop in Costa Mesa, shout out, and I was sitting there, and there was this couple that ran in, and they were like, they were like talking to people, and then finally they got closer to me, and they talked to my brother-in-law, Dakota, and they're like, is that your Volvo? He's like, no, it's his, and they came up to me like, is that your Volvo? I was like, yeah, they're like, would you ever consider selling it? I'm like, yeah, cash offer, pay right now, don't even test drive, just get out of here. No, I didn't say that, but I was like, yeah, like, I'm considering selling it in the future. Just let me work some things out with this. And all that to say, from the outside, my car looks fine. And it's not even like it's the nicest car. It's definitely an acquired taste. Like, my friends will still call it a beater, but whatever. On the outside, it looks fine, but on the inside, there's a lot of issues. And this is a problem that Jesus finds with the religious elite of his day in Jerusalem. They portray an outward image of godliness, but on the inside, their hearts are hardened and they don't bear much fruit. They know the scriptures, but they don't live them out, or at least live them out in the way that it was intended. For the word of God lived out is to look like this, loving God and loving others, you see, there is an inconsistency with the religious elite before Jesus, as there is often an inconsistency with us today. But thankfully, we have Jesus, our spiritual mechanic of the soul who desires to make us new again and again. Amen? Let's go to God's Word. This is going to be out of Matthew 22, verses 15 to 46. Matthew twenty-two, fifteen 15 to 46. The words will be up on the screen. And if you need a Bible, ushers are available to pass one out. You just need to raise a hand. Matthew 22, 15 to 46. This is the word of the Lord. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said. We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the law, the tax. With my stigmatism, I looked a lot like a law from here. Paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said. Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him, Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. So Jesus, we come before your word with humility. And thank you that you speak to us individually as well as corporately. That you, Jesus, are in the business of ministering to your kids right where they are at. And thank you that you love us right where we are at. Amen. Now, Jesus has just gone about calling out the religious elites, those who were supposed to be representing God but failed to do so, elevating themselves to a God tier rather than elevating the king himself. And now it's time to retaliate on Jesus. The religious elite they want to trap jesus in his words and they recognize this is an optimal time to do so where all the pilgrims are coming in to jerusalem for passover so we're going to publicly shame jesus in front of a huge crowd is what they are thinking and this is a mixed bunch this malicious crew we have the pharisees who are the devout jews The Herodians, who are followers of Herod the Great, and the Sadducees, those who are wealthy, political, and anti-spiritual. They're all coming together to take down this Jesus of Nazareth. And they believed, if we are to trip him up, we can get rid of this threat to our reign and have him get taken down by the Romans. And so, as the saying goes, my enemy's enemy is my friend. It was everybody against Jesus, And we see four tests take place, three against Jesus and one in which Jesus turns the tables. And notice this portion of scripture is a continuation after Jesus called out the religious folk on not bearing fruit. We see Jesus, he beats them at their very own game. What we see today is that the word of God made flesh, Jesus, is pointing out the flesh the religious leaders have put into the word of God. Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the scriptures, is pointing at how the religious elite are emptying the scriptures of their value. The law was never meant to be done in and of itself. Rather, it was to be walked out alongside the creator God for loving union with him. The law's intent was union with God. And truly, this is the root of the entire passage. You are in error. Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And the text begins with a question about paying the imperial tax. And it begins with some flattery. They want to butter Jesus up before asking him this question. So they go, teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. We know you teach the word of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others. You don't pay attention to others' status, and any ordinary person might be like, all right, it's about time someone noticed. Stop, but keep the compliments coming. But Jesus is able to see right through them. His response to them isn't really a compliment. It's, you hypocrites you hypocrites, which this word in Hebrew is the same word for actor. They are acting. They are not showing their true selves. And the reason why Jesus says this is because they themselves don't fall under any category they place Jesus in. He called him a man of integrity as they were trying to trap him. They called him one who taught in accordance with the truth, whereas They are trying to use this situation to dismantle this teacher. They try to use their teaching in such a way that they gain things. And they aren't swayed by others? Yes, they are swayed by others. That's how the Pharisees would operate. How can we get power? How can we get status? See, right off the bat, Jesus addresses their heart issue. They are hypocritical. They are hypocritical, and this question is simply a trap. Now, Jesus... Will you pay the imperial tax? Is it right to do so, they ask him. Now, this was one of the three taxes that was normal in the government at this time. There was the ground tax, which was 10% on grain and 20% on oil and wine. The income tax, which was 1% of a man's income. And then the imperial tax, which was a denarius a year, a whole day's wage for a common laborer. And it's been said that paying the imperial tax was the most obvious sign of submission to Rome. And so the Pharisees are trying to put Jesus right where they want him, try to put him in a spot where no matter what he answers with, it's going to be bad for him. If he says yes, he's going to anger the Jews. If he says no to paying the tax, he's going to anger the Romans. Either way, someone is going to be mad about Jesus's response. In the words of Admiral Akbar from Star Wars, it's a trap. It's a trap. However, Jesus, being God himself, he was able to see through their corrupt tactics, you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And once they brought him the coin, he asked them, whose image is on this? And whose inscription? And once they said Caesar's, He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. What is Jesus getting at here? Jesus answered their question by demonstrating that you can serve the government in a way that is serving and honoring to God as it doesn't compromise with your faith. Similar to the words of Paul on his use of freedom. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. In this, Paul does not compromise his faith, but rather operates from his faith in order to bring people in. And what Jesus is saying is that we can serve the government in a way that operates from our faith, not compromising them. Box checked for the Romans. Now, on top of that, Jesus gives the framework for the Jews on their service to God. Give to God what is God's. What is God's? Well, we need to check our own inscription. We bear God's image. We are inscribed with his likeness. And as followers of Jesus, we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So we give ourselves to God, that which is rightfully his. We see Jesus here is putting into perspective what money is. It's a heart issue. It's an easy idol which is why Jesus gives us the clarity, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. See, Jesus here addresses a hard issue that transcends Jerusalem's current situation. People of Israel are oppressed by Rome. The Romans are taxing heavily. What do we do about the imperial tax, Jesus? Do we stick it to the man? Do we revolt? Give back to Caesar, what is Caesar's, and to God, what is God's? And I almost imagine like Jesus, like slow-mo, like flipping the coin right back to the Pharisee who like kind of like stumbles catching it because it was like God flipping it to him. (laughs) So what is Jesus, what is he saying here with this distinction? We are to live from our faiths, giving to God what is God's, living within our society from our faith, not compromising it, but living from it, and doing so in a way that welcomes others in, not rebellious or repulsive, but walking as a person of love, taking after our rabbi Jesus. Now, the next portion is wild. The Sadducees asked Jesus about marriage at the resurrection. It almost sounds like one of those weird math word problems that I remember from elementary school. Why do the Sadducees pose such a strange question? They're using a ridiculous scenario to try to make the resurrection seem ridiculous. And reason being, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, which is why they are sad, you see. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Day, Day one at Vanguard University, I learned that. That's what I paid all my money for. But the Sadducees, they were anti-supernaturalistic, not believing in angels, the resurrection, miracles, any of that stuff. They only accepted the first five books in the Bible. And even with that, they cherry-picked what they did or did not want. And they weren't the largest religious group, but they were the wealthy, the aristocratic, those who were part of the governing class. And Jesus, he was getting in their way. So they were trying to get rid of him. They were trying to trap him by posing a hypothetical question. Woman is widowed seven times. Who will be her husband in the resurrection? And Jesus, knowing well the measures they are taking, used this question to point out the flaw in the religiosity as a whole. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Jesus here is declaring that it is possible to have Bible knowledge, but not fundamentally know the Bible, to know about God, but to not know God. For When you get to know God, you understand that he is powerful and so much bigger than any box you try to construct to fit him within. Jesus replies with given the reality of the resurrection. People will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. It's not saying they will be angels, but they will be like them. Angels aren't married, and they don't procreate. They just kind of like vibe and praise God forever, like holy, 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 all day, all night. And Jesus is saying the Sadducees, they don't understand the point of marriage. Marriage points to the unity of God and his bride, that being the church as well as the intent to be fruitful and multiply, which we will no longer need as no one will have an expiration date. It's all of eternity. And where Jesus lands the plane is with describing what we see about the resurrection in the first five books of the Bible. Jesus hits the religious rulers with the good old, have you not read what God said to you? That's always so good. When Jesus asks Bible experts, have you not read the Bible? That's rich content. Jesus quotes Exodus 3 6, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Jesus declares, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Grammar Lesson 101 by Rabbi Jesus. If there was no resurrection, God would have said, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac. I was the God of Jacob. But that's not the case. I am present tense he's not the god of the dead but of the living so thoughts sadducees verse 33 when the crowds heard this they were astonished at his teaching we see the sadducees were silenced now what do we do with these words from jesus to the sadducees you are an error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of god You see, for us, we need to come before the word of God with humility, as a student, with a desire to grow in awe and a wonder of God. And that's the reason why there can be dry Christianity. People lose their wonder. They dry up. They're like a fish out of water. So what do we do? We go to the living water again and again and again. Pray that we would never lose our wonder. Pray that we would be in absolute awe of the glory of God, that we would understand why the angels are singing night and day. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And all the while recognize that God, he's the God of the living, meaning the resurrection is true, as well as he's the God of our lives today. That has implications for us today. We need to walk out our lives with God more than Sunday's church every single day. And by his presence, by communion with him, we will grow in awe. We will be filled with wonder. Just ask God again and again, Lord, wow me. Draw me in. Show me your glory Jesus is declaring that it is possible to have Bible knowledge yet not fundamentally know the Bible, to know about God but not know God. And when you begin to know God, you begin to understand he is so powerful, he is so majestic, he is so glorious. He is the God of the living. And we see Jesus here has passed the second test. The second challenger has failed in their attempt to trap Jesus. Now, here comes the final boss. I read this text countless times this week like it was Mortal Kombat. Jesus with the good old tiger uppercut with questions thrown at him in Mortal Kombat starring Jesus. Now, Jesus has just silenced the Sadducees after silencing the students of the Pharisees and the Herodians. And now the elite Pharisees come together and they bring out the big guns one of them who is an expert in the law this lawyer goes before jesus with a question teacher which is the greatest commandment in the law and the pharisee recognizes that the 10 commandments are all essential he believes that jesus could not possibly answer this question and leave unscathed but instead of categorizes jesus summarizes while moses brought the 613 laws down to 10 Jesus brings it down to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summarizes the first five laws under loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the latter five as loving your neighbor as yourself to which a person who's not too fond of themselves may think, ah, perfect, I don't want to love people anyway. But when you begin to abide by the first portion, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you will have the capacity to love both yourself and your neighbor as well which isn't saying you need to learn how to love yourself first before you love others. No, 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 we love because we were loved by God first and how we respond to that is loving others and welcoming them into God's love, amen? You guys with me? Yeah, (laughs) love that. Theologian Jack Deere once wrote, this then is the main thing, loving God, loving others, and teaching others to love what Jesus loves. See, Jesus, he places God's love in the center, the heart of God, that it's not about laws for the sake of laws. We're not looking at them like measuring scales. Rather, they're how we live in a loving union with God and one another. They point us toward Eden, toward true reality. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. And now Jesus, he flips the roles and becomes the questioner what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they reply. Presumably automatic because this would be a a belief held amongst them all. Like, son of David, easy. Come on, Jesus. Is that all you have? But then Jesus, he has them right where he wants them and asks them the real question. How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Mic drop. Jesus is playing chess over here. He sacrificed a pawn with the first move only to take the king down. They didn't see this coming, nor could they determine a valid answer to Jesus' question. They couldn't fathom the implications of the text. And so verse 46 No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. We see that logic and rhetoric proved useless in taking down Jesus. So now they would move toward treachery and violence instead, leading to the cross. So where do we go from here? Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Love God, love your neighbor. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord himself who comes to redeem. All these things boil down to life with God. We give our whole hearts to God as we bear his image. And we honor him as we live from our faith in the culture that we live in. We live for God today in daily union, spending time with him daily as he is the God of the living. And we look toward the resurrection where we'll be with him in eternity forever. We love God We love our neighbors as ourselves. This begins with being loved by God, and we respond by loving him and loving those made in his image. And Jesus has redeemed our souls, and so we respond with giving our whole selves to him, he who is the king of kings and Lord of lords. So let's respond in this way right now. Let's have a time of worship to set the trajectory for our week. Life with God Committing all things to Him. Amen? Please stand with me as we go into this time of worship. So, Jesus, there's only one way to respond to the radical grace that you have shown us, and that is awe and wonder and worship giving you praise and adoration, speaking out, singing out, declaring out the truths of your nature. Jesus, you are glorious. You are majestic and wonderful and so worthy to be praised. May we respond in this time of worship with that heart posture. May we praise you for the loving union that you welcome us into. Jesus, from the grace that we receive from you, that which we could not earn. Thank you, Jesus.